Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We're going to get a little bit funky on today's show. Now, listeners of our Crack Rackets podcast will know this is the feed where we often do just that. Of course, approaching the major events, the Grand Slams, the Masters 1000s, year-end championships, NCAA championships. We often use this platform as a means to preview those events, cover them from the various different angles. Who are the most interesting players, the dark horses, the contenders, the prevalent storylines entering the event, of course, throughout the college tennis season. You'll hear Matt Stokoyak, Chris Haliors, and myself hop on this podcast to name our top 10 teams in any given moment of the season, name the biggest storylines in any given moment. But something we also like to do on this show is take a step back and look at some of the bigger picture items, the broader topics on the minds of tennis fans across the tennis world, as of course, there are so many different things happening at once. It's tough to keep track of every storyline tough to keep the big picture in mind when you're also trying to follow each and every event and there are you know tens hundreds of them happening in any given week what I want to do on today's show is explore one of the topics that I know is most prevalent on the minds of tennis fans right now and that's how do we contextualize all of the teenage success we are seeing of late on the WTA tour if you look at the WTA top 100 right now there are six teenagers within the top 100. Of course, some of those names glaringly obvious. Emma Raducanu, the 18-year-old who just won the U.S. Open in New York. Her incredible run, 10-0, starting in qualifying, doesn't drop a set on her way to the title. We're all aware of her success. We're all aware of the player. Now she played in the final, 19-year-old Leila Fernandez, the former Junior Grand Slam champion, making her first Grand Slam final in New York. But of course, she had previously won a W WTA title. She's a player we've talked about here at Cracked Rackets, but certainly coming to prominence of late in the tennis mainstream or the mainstream conscious, I suppose, of tennis fans during her run in New York. Of course, Coco Goff, I don't think I have to make the case for Goff's uh, infamacy at this point. Clara Tawson last week just won her second WTA level title on the season. She's had so much success over the past 18 months. Maybe not the big slam breakthrough, but week in, week out it's clear the former world junior number one also a teenager now comfortably inside the top 75 she's working her way up the rankings of course a couple of less heralded of late teenagers in the top 100 you've got someone in Marta Kostyuk the talented hard-hitting Ukrainian fourth round at the French Open we know what she's capable of when she plays her best perhaps not the week in week out consistency of some of the others but we know of Kostyuk's talents and 
then let's not forget about teenager Maria Camila Osorio Serrano, who won her first WTA title on clay earlier this season. She's another former world junior number one teenager who's had a bunch of success. Still waiting to see perhaps that big slam result, that big 1,000 level result. But again, six teenagers in the top 100 right now. What does all of that mean? How do their accomplishments at this point of their careers compare to some of the past teenage successes we've seen uh, in WTA Tour history? Now, I do want to preface, I only went back and I'll say to the Monica Seles era. That's where I started because, of course, Monica Seles is the golden standard and I want to get into her results, but I didn't get into, you know, uh, Martina Navratilova and I didn't look up every individual player. There are some absences. You're not going to hear me talk about Steffi Groff, uh, who I know obviously had a ton of success when she was young as well, and certainly the 1990s was uh, the Steffi Groff era after what happened to Monica Seles, but, you know, I, I don't have her. I don't have Navratilova. I don't have Chrissy Everett. I didn't go back prior to the open era. I didn't check out the men's side as well, but I do have 14 names to compare the six current teenagers to, and I do, again, want to... I don't know if this is an apology, a disclaimer, a warning to all of you listeners listening to this podcast. You are going to hear a lot of numbers. You are going to hear me state statistics, and, you know, again, there's going to be a lot of statistics in a short period of time. Of course, I will do my best to pace myself so as to not overwhelm you. I will point out, I tweeted out 90% of these stats on my Twitter feed, at Great Shot Pod, if you'd like to go see them, perhaps follow along with them as you are listening to this podcast. I don't think that's the worst idea in the world. I completely understand that. And so, again, at Great Shot Pod, if you want to see these numbers as I am reading them, hoping to do a bit of a write up as well for uh, this topic. I know we're going to be recording a video on this on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. So, again, if you want to hear more, you want to see Super Producer Daniel Westhoff spin on all of the action, be sure. Sure uh, to go check out that uh, the video on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Be sure to go check it all out on our website, crackrackets.com. But again, let's contextualize the success of the current teenagers by starting with a conversation about the past teenage success because, of course, it's easy to get caught up in the here and now. Emma Raducanu wins a Grand Slam. Of course, you look in the more immediate history. Iga Swiatek just won a Grand Slam as a teenager at the 2020 French Open, and it's easy to forget she just turned 20 years old. She's no longer a teenager, but she's number five in the world at 20 years old, and I absolutely want to talk about her success where she ranks with some of the other other names I looked up throughout my research for this podcast, but the place we have to start when you're talking about WTA teenage success, the gold standard for success, and uh, I tweeted this out, but true story, when I started my research for this, well, first I looked up the six current teenagers, but when I started researching some of the past performers, I knew the place I had to start was with the gold standard in Monica Seles. And of course, if you don't know the story of Monica Seles, you're likely not listening to this podcast. Of course, she was one of, if not the best player in the world in tennis by the time she was 17, 18, 19 years old. Of course, then tragedy occurs throughout her career as she stabbed uh, on court in 1993. Now, of course, she was able to return to tennis uh, about two years later. And of course, it was so fa- uh, such a just an incredible story, the fact that she was able to win in the 1996 Australian Open after suffering such a tragedy on court. But, you know, again, as a teenager, it's worth reminding everyone, Monica Seles, 
it's laughable. I mean, you, again, I laughed out loud when I started reading the numbers of what she accomplished before turning 20 years old. Let's just start with the overall record. And back then, every event was a tour event. And I, you know, shout out first and foremost to our friends at Tennis Abstract. What Jeff Sackman, the team is doing over there, it just makes these sort of projects possible. It makes us able to contextualize or it allows us to contextualize the teenage success and just, you know, perhaps not get overly excited, not put these ridiculous expectations on these players uh, because we've seen other teenagers accomplish even more than what this group has accomplished uh, over the past few seasons. And of course, that starts with Monica Sellis, who was 256 and 31. Let me say that again. 256 victories, only 31 losses uh, in her in her career prior to the age of 20. So as a teenager, she won 89% of her matches. Now she played 63 total events prior to turning 20, 63 tour level events. She won 32 of them. That's over 50%. She was winning half of her events as a teenager, making the finals at 73% of them. She was 46 of 63 in terms of finals reach. She made the quarterfinals at 57 of the 63 events, semifinals at 50 of them. Dominant, 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 dominant. Obviously, she was world number one by the time she had turned 20 years old. You look at some of the other things Monica Sellis had accomplished, and of course, uh, you look for her just throughout the course of the the number that stands out, the number that will never be matched moving forward, is her accomplishments at the slams. She was 79-6, and six, folks. 79-6 and six in 14 total slams. 79-6, and six, Eight titles during the course of those slams, three at Roland Garros, two in, uh, three in Australia, two U.S. Opens. She also made a final at Wimbledon, 10 semifinals, 11 quarterfinals in her 14 total slams. So, of course, we all think back to the Roger Federer run, 2004 to really 2009, when he you just pencil him in semifinals or finals at every slam. The only time he wouldn't make the final is if he drew Rafa for some reason in the semifinals of the French Open. Maybe Rafa was injured. Maybe Joe had just won Australia, something like that. But again, that stretch for Roger Federer, that, you know, the prime of arguably the greatest men's tennis player ever, that was Monica Seles as a freaking teenager. 79 and 6 is a 93% win percentage in her first 14 majors. Again, eight titles in her first 14, 11 quarterfinals and 14 total slams. It's just ridiculous. And look, Am I aware that a top 100 player, a top 50 player in the late 80s, early 90s is not the quality of a top 50, top 100 player now? Yes, of course, it's worth contextualizing for era, but you look for Monica Seles. She was 217 against and 31 against top 100 players. So again, all 31 of her professional losses as a teenager, you had to at least be top 100 to beat her. If you're not top 100 under no circumstance, were you beating Monica Seles? You look at it again, 217 of her 256 wins were against top 100 opponents. So she beat up everyone she was supposed to beat up and immediately finding success working her way in the top 100. Now, of course, she also goes on to win 85% of her matchups against top 50 opponents. She's 161 and 29. Perhaps most impressive of all, against top 20 opponents in 130 total matches. That is a healthy sample size, folks. 130 matches against top 20 opponents. She was 103 and 27. 
She won 79% of her matches against top 20 opponents. For comparison, yes, Emma Raducanu is currently undefeated, but I think she's like 4-0 against top 20 opponents. But Celis's win percentage, 0.792. You compare that to the other 20 players I looked up on the list. Celis is at 0.792, and Drescu is at 0.765, although you look for Bianca and Drescu. You know, I mentioned for Celis it was 130 matches for Bianca and Drescu. It was 7 17 matches. Uh, Andrescu's at 765. You then get to uh, it's uh, Martina Hingis at 730. Then you drop all the way to Serena Williams at 650. So again, Serena Williams, a top 20, a 650 win percentage against top 20 opponents before turning age 20. That's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's Hall of Fame worthy. Put them in right away. You know, people struggle their entire lives to win 50% of their matches against top 20. To win 65% of them as a teenager, that's why we knew Serena Williams was going to be special. Celis won 79% of those matches. Again, 103 and 27 against top 20 opponents as a teenager. She won eight uh, slams during that run, as I mentioned, for her to win over 50. Uh, she enters 63 total events, 32 titles. That's winning in 50.8% of her events. Enough said, folks. Monica Celis is the golden standard. Although it is worth noting, there have been some people, I don't want to say who matched that accomplishment. No one has matched that accomplishment. No one will ever match that accomplishment. You know who came damn close? Martina freaking Hingis. Do we not talk enough about how exceptional Martina Hingis was throughout her career? Should she not be in that discussion for the all-time greats, even if only on the accomplishments she achieved as a teenager? You look for Martina Hingis, again, I, I will get to the stats leaderboard at the end, offer the comparisons where all these people rank uh, compared to one another, but you look for a bunch of the categories. It's usually Celis 1, Hingis 2, and of course you look for Grand Slam titles. Celis won 8, Martina Hingis won 5 Grand Slams before turning 20 years old. You look for Hingis, she was 372 and 77, that's the most wins of any player. Second in win percentage, trailing only Celis, 372 and 77 overall. 336 and 72 in tour level matches, of course you look for her again, those are both over 82% win percentages. You look for her at the slams, 109 and 19. 109 in 19 at the slams as a teenager. That's an 85% win percentage. She won five titles, three in Australia, one in New York, one at Wimbledon, made five finals. She made a final at each and every slam, 17 quarterfinals in 24 total slams. 17 quarterfinals in her first 24 slams, all before turning 20 years old. Again, just do the math. There's four slams a year. Before you turn 20 years old, if you've played 24 total slams, you started playing slams when you were 14 years old. You won 85% of the matches from ages 14 to 20. Uh, what are we doing here, folks? What are we doing here? It's just – it's exceptional. And again, for Martina Hingis, and I know – again, I didn't get to watch – when Martina Hingis was winning these results, I was – Maybe born, like just maybe born by the end. Again, October 6, 1995. You look for Martina Hingis. I want to say she turned 20 years old. 96? No, no, no. She turned 20 years old in 2000. Excuse me. So, yeah, I was barely five by the time she was, you know, uh, towards the end of this peak run of her teen as a teenager. But, again, it's just 
It's silly. It's absolutely silly. And while it's not quite Salas levels winning 50.8% of your tournaments, she won 31 titles in 103 total events, five of those being slams. Again, 31 titles in 103 events. It's about a 30% mark. She made 47 finals during that stretch of time. So she's about, you know, in about half the tournaments she entered, she was making the final. Of course, she made 69 semifinals, 83 quarterfinals, and 103 total events. She's playing deep into the week. You are going going to have to go through Martina Hingis on your way through the t- uh, to the title. Of course, that's her as a teenager. Of course, you continue to look. She was 303 and 70 against top 100 opponents. That's an 81% win percentage. She won 80% of her matches against top 50 opponents, 257 and 66, 157 and 58, a 73% win percentage against top 20 opponents. As I mentioned, that's third to just Andrescu and Celis, but of course, uh, or fourth technically for Radicano but of course for both Andrescu and Radicanu they played fewer than 20 matches against top 20 opponents you can see the drop off Celis at 792 she's the definitive best teenager in history then you go to Hingis 730 win percentage against top 20 opponents again Celis 8 Grand Slam titles Hingis had 5 Celis 9 Grand Slam finals Hingis I believe had 8 again Celis leading in all these individual categories by percentage and you know for sample size they are both well into the 250 300 total match range Celis is 1 Hingis is 2 then things get interesting in three and four. And there's no denying the rivalry between Serena Williams and Maria Sharapova. It tilted forever around that 2000, what was it, seven Australian Open, 2006 Australian Open match. I forget whichever the exact one that it was. And please ding me for that when you listen to this podcast. I should know that. I'm pretty sure I did uh, a rewatchable podcast on that very match with Ben Rothenberg during last year's quarantine time but I hope you'll spare me there have been a lot of podcasts uh between now and uh between then and now but look the correct take not you know the maybe take the correct take again if we're listing teenagers three and four it it goes Celis one Hingis two maybe Groff and Everett and Evertilova whatever in there but of the people I met I measured you go to three and four it's Sharapova over Serena I'll just compare the numbers for you straight up because, again, you look for the two of them. For Serena Williams, she was 151-39 and 39 in tour-level matches. That's a 0.795, so 79.5% win percentage. You look for Maria Sharapova, she was 203-49. and 49. That's an 80.6 win percentage. So, again, it's one percentage point, but the edge goes to Sharapova. You look at them at the slam. Serena Williams, 49-13. and 13. She's winning 79% of her matches. That's freaking nuts. Again, golden standard. Serena Williams right up there with Salas, with Hingis. Sharapova was 64-15. and 15. That's an 81% win percentage, 2% better. Then Serena Williams, you compare the titles. Serena won one, the 99 U.S. Open. Sharapova won two, Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. You look in total, Serena two finals. Sharapova made three. Serena three semifinals. Sharapova made eight. Uh, Serena seven quarterfinals. Sharapova made 10. Now it is worth noting, Sharapova played three more slams in total than Serena Williams during that stretch of time, but that's because she was, and again, like, Credit to Sharapova. Her her performance uh, carried over in those three additional slams. There was no uh, there was no diminish in return for just having those extra 
extra repetitions as a player who's a teenager. And again, you look at the title count. Serena, 10 titles, 14 finals, and 49 events. For Maria Sharapova, 14 titles, 19 finals, in 63 events. You want to compare the two of them for Serena Williams. You look for her during that stretch of time. 10 titles and 49 tour events. That's a 20.4% uh, conversion rate. 14 finals and 49 events. That's 28 you look for Maria Sharapova, 14 in 63 events. That's a 22.2% conversion rate, slightly higher than Serena. You look for 19 finals in 63 events. That's a 30.2% conversion rate, slightly higher than Serena. Again, all the way down the board, more semifinals, more quarterfinals for Sharapova. For Sharapova, she's got a better record against top 100 opponents in 206 total matches. She has a 786 win percentage. For Serena, it was 172 total matches. She's 779. 0.7% separates them, but again, with all the other stats leaning towards Sharapova, you need a big win for Serena. It's not there. You look top 50 opponents. Sharapova, 740 win percentage. Serena, 727. You look against top 20 opponents. This is where it's a slight tilt towards Serena. Against top 20 opponents, she's 55-30. and 30. That's a 647 win percentage. You look for Sharapova, 41-29. and 29. That's a 586 win percentage. Of course, for Sharapova, she did earn victories over Serena during that stretch of time. I mean, one category, top 20, and it's 647 to 586. Like, top 20 wins, you lean towards Serena. Everything else, more total wins at the slams, more total titles at the slams, more total titles in general. I mean, both of them were exceptional, exceptional at teenage as teenagers. But if you're asking me, and again, I'm just trying to contextualize all of the teenage success. You hear the numbers here. These top four players are all making multiple slam finals. They're winning over 75% of their matches against top 100 opponents, 70 you know, about 72% of their matches against top 50 opponents, about 60 to 65%, if not more, of their matches against top 20 opponents. They're winning multiple titles all before turning age 20. This is what it takes to be considered the best of the best as a teenager on tour, of course. Those are your top four. I think those that's your pretty unequivocal top four. Again, if I'm missing Graf, if I'm missing anyone from that list, let me know. But I think after that, you move down a tier lower to the Kleisters, Capriati, you know, and then I measure Justine Ennen, and she might even be on a tier of her own, but I think then it goes Cap- – actually, I, I think it is. It goes Capriati, Kleisters, and then sort of Venus in that next tier. You look uh, for the three of them. I'll just start with Kim Kleisters, and again, I'm going to sort of rapid fire through these now. You're not going to get all of the stats, but for Kleisters as a teenager, 46 and 16 at the slam. She's winning 74% of her matches. She made two finals at Roland Garros, four semifinals, six quarterfinals, never won a title, but to make – Six quarterfinals in your first 16 slams to make two finals, to win 12 total titles, make 23 finals in your first 74 events. You look for her again by win percentage, 72% over top 100, 65% over the top six, uh, 50, 60% over the top 20 
she clearly proved by by the time she was a teenager she was a top five top 10 sort of talent making grand slam finals win, winning big titles beating big players in big stages all of the numbers were there for kim kleister similar for jennifer capriati who of course again wasn't able to get over the grand slam hump as a teenager despite all of the pressure put on her and of course that pressure ultimately led to the age restrictions we see now but and it's not that simple by the way that's just the brief synopsis but for capriati she was winning 75% of her tour level matches as a teenager. Nine quarterfinals in her first 14 slams. Six titles, 10 finals in her first 54 events. She's making 35 quarterfinals in those first 54 events. She's winning 70% against the top 100, 65% against the top 50, 53% against the top 20. Again, you see that top 20 number begin to dip. That's where we sort of dive out of the elite of the elite category. When as a teenager, if you're winning over 65% of your matches against top 20 opponents, you're likely in the elite of the elite discussion. You're beating the best of the best already. Uh, you know, Capriati certainly was in that discussion. You look for just uh, for, excuse me, Venus Williams, same deal. She won 75% of her tour level matches, 76%, excuse me. 43 and 12 at the slams. By the way, Capriati was 50 and 14 uh, for Venus. She had made a final, nine quarterfinals in her first 12 total slams, nine titles in her first 60 total tour level events. So, you know, 75, 69, 59 splits in terms of win percentages against top 150, 20 players. All of these metrics, she's meeting them as well. Elite of the elite. There are two players, I think, sort of in a similar category in recent memory. And again, this is as we sort of make the pivot. I want to talk about some modern examples as well. But lastly, I do want to talk about both Justine Ennin and Caroline Wozniacki, who I think is one of the less heralded successful teenagers of the past 20 years. Was she the best teenager in the last 15 Maybe. I mean, let's look at – I guess not now that Iga's won a slam, now that Raducanu's won a slam. But you look for Caroline Wozniacki as a teenager. She was winning 68% of her tour-level matches, 169 and 78, just for the record. How does that compare to some of the others in terms of tour-level win percentage? For Wozniacki, she's above a Coco Goff. She's above a Clara Tossin. She's above a Kostyuk, above a Layla Fernandez, above players like Osaka and Halep as well. Now, she's beneath players like Enin, Capriati, Venus, Sharapova, Hingiselis, the elite of the elite. But Caroline Wozniacki, is she going to end up in the Hall of Fame? She was world number one. She got a Grand Slam title. She made multiple Grand Slam finals. I would say so. And so, again, if Caroline Wozniacki is your benchmark, I'll get to some of the players who have accomplished more than her of late. But for Wozniacki, she was an exceptional teenager, 35 and 14 at the slams. You know, again, that's a 71% win percentage. She made a U.S. Open final. She made two quarterfinals in her first 14 events, a little bit slower, a little bit more similar to the pace we're seeing of some of these players. Now she won seven titles, made 14 finals in her first 85 events. She made 34 quarterfinals during that stretch, won 65% of her top 100 matches, 59% of her top 50 matches, only won 45% of her top 20 matches. And again, that's where you start to separate Wozniacki from the Celises, from the Venuses, from the Kleisters and Serena Sharapovas of the world is it wasn't quite elite of the elite already when she was just a teenager. Now, that's who you had to be to beat her. You had to be the elite of the elite to beat a teenage Wozniacki, but she was beatable. 
And so it's just worth pointing out her numbers. You look for Justine Ennin. It's kind of similar now. She was 29-11 and 11 at the slams, had made a final like Wozniacki. Three quarterfinals only for her in her first 11. A little bit slower. Only five titles in her first 52 total events. Again, a little bit slower. 70% and 59% against top 150. But against the elite of the elite, Justine Ennin only won 37% of her matches as a teenager. So it was a little bit slower for the Ennins, a little bit slower for the Wozniakis, but that's sort of the pace we see some of these current players on. The last modern example I'll give you, just two players who lag behind where these teenagers are at now, two players who have obviously been in the mix for the past decade, and that's Simona Halep and Karolina Pliskova. Now, for Simona Halep, she had a six, th- uh, excuse me, a 548 win percentage in tour-level matches as a teenager. You look at, by comparison, Leila Fernandez, Marta Kostyuk, Maria Osorio, uh, Camila Osorio Serrano, Clara Tawson, Coco Gauff, and Emma Raducanu all have higher win percentages in tour-level matches. Now, their sample sizes are still smaller than Halep's. Halep, in the end, by the time she was, uh, she became a 20-year-old, she was 51-42 and 42 in tour-level matches. But Goff's played about that number. Leila Fernandez is right about at that number as well, and certainly Tossin working towards that number. The point being, there was a big jump that came a little bit later for a Simona Halep, and you look for Halep early in her career before she was a teenager, no titles in her first 42 total events. She was 5-6 and six in total in slam main draws. Her best result before turning 20 years old was a third round at the 2011 Australian Open. She had only made four total quarterfinals in her career, had losing records against top 100 opponents, top 50 opponents, top 20 opponents. It was a big jump for Simona Halep later in her career that allowed her to become the player she's became. Uh, she became. Ditto for Karolina Pliskova. She didn't play a slam main draw before turning 20. She had never made a, a final, a semifinal, earned a top 50 or top 20 win before turning 20 years old. She was 1 in 10 against the top 100 as a teenager. Now Karolina Pliskova has been in the top 10 for just about the past decade. The point being, of course, there are developments that happen later in the careers of these players. But it's worth now transitioning, and I know that was an extended period. So by the way, the rankings of teenagers that I have thus far of the non-current group, I'd go Celis 1, Hingis 2, Sharapova 3, Serena 4, Kleister's 5, Venus 6, Capriati 7, then probably... Ennin over Wozniacki, yeah, Ennin 8, Wozniacki 9, Halep 10, Karolina Pliskova 11, but there are some others in the group, um, you know, it, it. you know, you you look at those group, and I, I know I do want to talk about the, this current group of teenagers, but there are some other even more pressing recent examples that it's worth discussing, and the player who first comes to mind is our Iga Sviantek and Bianca Andreescu, two recent teenage uh, sensations who each won Grand Slam titles and whose numbers, while limited in sample size, do compare favorably with some of the aforementioned names I mentioned. Now, let's start with Bianca Andreescu. She did play a healthy amount of matches before turning 20. Not the fullest sample size. It's not the 250, the 300 matches we saw from a Monica Seles, from a Martina Hengis. It's not even the 200 we saw for Serena Williams. But you look for Bianca Andreescu. She was 55 and 19 
in her tour level matches as a teenager. Now, only nine and three at the slams. She played only three slam main draws, happened to win a title in one of those three slam main draws, but won four titles, made five finals in her first 23 total events. And it is worth noting those titles weren't just rinky dinky ones, right? She went and won Indian Wells, she went and won Toronto, she went and won the U.S. Open. That takes some gravitas as a teenager and you look for her sample size she was 34 and 8 against top 100 opponents now that's an 81 percent win percentage i know that's less than 50 matches but for bianca andrescu if she was healthy was there any doubt that she was one of if not the best player in the world in 2019 with the tennis we saw with the results she put together i don't think any of us disagree with that and while it was a limited sample size it felt like that that 2019 season felt very real from Bianca Andreescu. And so again, that she's 23 and 5 against top 50 opponents as a teenager. That's an 82% win percentage amongst all of the players I measured against Andreescu's third. It goes Radicanu one, obviously again, very limited sample size. Monica Sellis two at 792. Andreescu's three at 767, uh, 765 in terms of her record against top 20 opponents. Again, I'm going to throw Radicanu out of the equation right now because the sample size is so small. But Salas is 847 in terms of the record of top 50 against top 50 opponents. That's number one. Bianca Andreescu is number two at 821. And again, it's not the biggest sample size, but 23 and 5 against top 50 opponents, that's not that's not a fluke. If you do it over 30 matches, that's a season's worth of top 50 wins. She had an 82% win percentage against them. She was 13 and 4 against top 20 opponents. Now, 17 is probably a bit too small, but again, that 2019 season as an individual teenage season ranks right up there with the best. It's not quite Hingis. Oh, uh, excuse me. Yeah, it's it's not quite Celis, but it's right there with Hingis. It's not quite the totality of Sharapova and Serena, but it's right there with their ceilings. And it's just always worth remembering, Bianca Andreescu is still only 21 years old. There is so much tennis ahead for Bianca Andreescu. By the time we hit the 2030s, again, she'll be turning 30 years old at the start of the decade. And of course, you know, health has been the storyline of her career thus far because we know when she's healthy even this season she pops in she makes a Miami final we know what she's capable of when she's fit confident and playing her best tennis there's just an intangible quality about about her along with all the incredible qualities to her game uh, that make her such a special performer on court that make her one of the captivating talents and of course again from a single season standpoint when you look at a snapshot of Bianca Andreescu as a teenager her best as a teenager was was as good as many of the best on this list I've assembled. So that's one example. The other one who's been sneaky solid and I don't think we should forget about is Iga Sviantek, who, by the way, again, 19 years old when she won her title uh, just, what, just one season ago, uh, just like about a year ago at this time in Paris. And you look for Iga Sviantek. She's 64 and 25 as a teenager in tour level matches. Now that's, you know, 89 matches. Not quite 100, but that's about, you know, two, three seasons worth of matches for Iga Sviantek as a teenager. That 719 win percentage, you know, you look for her in the ball game she's with, you know, it's it's above Wozniacki. Now it's it's 0.9 percentage points below Justine Ennin. It's, you know, about two percentage points below a Kim Kleisters, a Jennifer Capriati, that Venus T 
here, but she's above the Goths. She's above the Tossins, above the current group of teenagers, and above where Halep and even Naomi Osaka, Carolina Pliskova were entering their age 20 seasons. Sviantek's right on the precipice of this list uh, with a lot of those players. And of course, for Iga, who was subject to the age restrictions, who was subject you know, to the ITF tour circuit, the way the current point structure is, she's got to go play 15Ks, 25Ks. It's worth pointing out through her teenage years, Sviantek won 76% of her total matches. That number, she's 0.3% above Enin, Capriati, Venus in terms of their total matches played. Now, again, the level of competition, or you'd say the level of event, were higher for the other three, but I just made the argument that the depth in women's tennis now is better than the depth was there. So I think when you look at overall win percentage, it does apply to Iga Sviantek, who again has won seventy six percent of her who won seventy six percent of her matches as a teenager, and you look at the more nuanced numbers. She was twenty and seven at the slams, and that's not the you know gaudy numbers we saw from the Celis. That's not seventy nine and six or one hundred nine and nineteen or even the forty nine and thirteen and sixty four and fourteen of Sharapova and Serena. But it is kind of on pace for the 46 and 16 of Kleisters, right? It is sort of on pace for the 50 and 14 of Jennifer Capriati. And, you, of course, you look for Iga Sviantek. What was she able to do that Kleisters, Capriati, and Venus were not? She was able to cra- capture a Grand Slam title at Roland Garros. She also made three other fourth-round appearances in eight total slams as a teenager. Of course, again, with the age restrictions, the difficulties now in breaking through at such a young age, she didn't have 14 total slam main draws to do it. She only had eight, and yet in those first eight, she got a title. She made four total f- uh, second weeks. That's sort of the progress. That's the modern version of what a Kleisters, of what a Capriati, of what a Venus looked like. And so, again, I do think that's worth noting. I think those are two recent teenagers, obviously teenagers who won slams, who we shouldn't forget about because, you know, they're only 21 and 20 years old. And so I do think when we talk about this current group of teenagers, it's worth lumping those two into the discussion. Of course, we are now 36, 37 minutes into this podcast. I have yet to mention the current group of teenagers. I want to go there now and as such, I want to incorporate where they are at compared to where, you know, some of the, uh, you know, compared to the aforementioned players, the former best teenagers, the uh, teenagers in WTA Tour history. The one who jumps out at the top of the leaderboards, of course, is Emma Raducanu, but it's just worth mentioning how small the sample size is for Emma Raducanu at this point. She's 13 and 5 in her career in tour-level matches, 18 total tour-level matches. Now, she's won 72% of them, one of them being a freaking run to a Grand Slam title, but 13-5 and five in tour-level matches? Like, come on. That, that It's too small of a sample size to take anything away from. Now, 67-20 and 20 in her overall professional record. I just talked about why you have to look at, you know, the pathway for Sviantec. It, you know, her overall record is a byproduct of the pathway she's now forced to take. You could argue all of those same things for Emma Raducanu. And that Raducanu's won 77% of her overall professional matches that's absolutely a notable data point. And for whatever it's worth, for Raducanu, if you go with that overall record, that 77% number in terms of comparison to others, it trails only Celis, Hingis, Sharapova, and Serena. Now, again, 
the level of competition those four faced and the competition of Ken and uh, Kleisters and Ennin and Capriati of Venus faced, it was much more severe and it was much, you know, again, a much broader sample size of matches. But it's worth noting in the competition she's faced, Emma Raducanu has had a similar degree of success as those players, as the Kleisters, as the, you know, Ennin's Capriati, Capriati's and Venus's of the world also had. Of course, you look for Raducanu. Again, it's so tough to compare her from a sample size perspective, but in terms of her record against the top 100, 846 right now, ranked second. She's first in records against top 50 and top 20 opponents because as of right now, she's never lost a match against any opponent ranked within the top 50 or within the top 20. Um, Yeah, it's just... You know, it's tough to judge where she is at in comparison to the others, of course. You look at some of the other names. Clara Tossin, it's a similar deal. She's won 77% of her matches, technically .767. Uh, so she's just behind Radakanu, but she's the world junior number one, and she's ripped through just about every phase of the game she's played. In her 168 total matches, Clara Tossin, 129-39 and 39 overall in her professional career. 129 and 39. That's outstanding. Of course, she's also got two WTA titles already in her career. Three WTA, or I, I believe, or the 125K, excuse me, in Chicago as well. You look for Clara Tossin, 24 and 12 in the 36 tour level matches she's played. That's a 667 win percentage. You look at how that compares to others. And again, it's a smaller sample size at only 67%. But for Clara Tossin, you know, she's above Halep. She's above Plisk. She's right around Caroline Wozniacki, lagging behind the Venus, Kleisters, Capriati, and in group. But she's absolutely in the mix, and we're still going to see her age 19 season where it does feel like with her better ranking now, she's cracked the top 75. She's into the top 60, right around that top 50 number. You know, there are going to be better opportunities for her at the Grand Slam. She's going to get to play four more main draws at slams as a teenager during the 2022 season. All of that should help her sample size. All of these numbers, her win percentages, her wins over top 100 opponents, her quarterfinal, semifinal numbers, they're all only going to improve and yet she's positioned herself very very well to enter perhaps that Venus Kleisters and in stage of player of course the name that we have yet to discuss Coco Goff who at 17 years old she will be in the list with the Venuses, with the Kleisters, with the Capriatis. Her numbers probably, you know, again, by sample size, are feel the most legitimate of the current group of teenagers we've seen in these comparisons thus far. You look for Coco Goff in her career. She's now won uh, 65, uh, or excuse me, 66% of her total matches. She's won 68% of her tour-level matches. That's tied with Wozniacki. It trails Fiontech, Radicani, and in by about three, four percent. But again, she's done all of this by age 17. She still has her age 18 season, age 19 season. And you look for Coco Golf amongst the current group of teenagers. She leads the group in terms of top 100 wins. She's got 44. Next closest is Kostyuk and Fernandez with 26 and 25 respectively. She's also won 62% of her top 100 matches. That's second to Radicanu. Her 21 top 50 wins, first of the group, her 538 win percentage, third to Ranakanu and Tossin. You 
look for her, her 10 top 20 wins. That's first amongst the group, double second place, uh, Emma, uh, excuse me, double second place, Layla Fernandez, her win percentage, second in the group, trailing only Radicanu, who's 2-0. and But of course, you look for Coco Goff. She's got the highest peak ELO rating of the group. She's got the best ranking of the group, number 19. That's above Radicanu, who's 22. Fernandez, number 28. You look for Coco Goff. She's got the most quarterfinals of the group. She's got nine to Fernandez's four. Kostyuk's four. Osorio Serrano's four. Tossin's three. Radicanu's one. Goff five semifinals. That's also the most of the group. Her two titles tied with Tossin for the most in the group. You look at her tour level win percentage for Coco Goff. Again, it's tough because she's got the highest sample size of matches, and yet she's still just second to Emma Raducanu, her 677 in 65. To, again, I, I mentioned this at the top. She's played 96 tour-level matches. She's won 68% of them, and that's all before turning 18 years old. And you do feel like at age 18, at age 19, she continues on the pathway she's on. She's won about 70% of her matches this season. That number creeps t- closer to 75, maybe, you know, again, 73 to 75% over these next two seasons. She very much gets into the club with the Ennins, with the Kleisters, with the Capriottis and the Venuses of the world. In terms of the career projection, and I do think right now there's a lot of similarities between what Coco Goff has done. You look at that record again for top 100, 62% against top 50, 54%, top 20, 50%. I think there are a lot of parallels between her and Caroline Wozniacki as well and just, again, what what they're both able to do. Uh, you know, again, just the way physically they're already able to hang on coordinates about developing that weapon, finding ways to make things a little bit easier for themselves. I do think, you know, from a physical perspective, Goff can just do a couple of things that Caroline Wozniacki wasn't able to do. I think Goff's a little bit better volleyer. I think there's a little bit more pace on the Coco Goff serve. And again, all these accomplishments for her at the age of 17. All of this is to say, again, let's look at the stats leaderboard. Let's compare how this current crop of teenagers is, uh, how they've competed and how, what they've accomplished compared to some of these past uh, players. And you look amongst the six current teenagers, Goff, Fernandez, Raducanu, Tossin, Kostyuk, and Osorio Serrano, where they rank amongst the group. Right now, the highest ranked in terms of overall win percentage is Emma Raducanu. Her 77% win percentage ranks fifth. Clara Tossin ranked sixth on that list, uh, 767. Goff, Fernandez, Kostyuk, Osorio, Serrano, all in the bottom half of the list. However, you get to tour-level win percentage. Again, Goff, Tossin right up there with Wozniacki, Raducanu, and in uh, in terms of their win percentage, they're both at 67-68%. Raducanu's at 72%. That all lags by about 3% to the Venus Kleisters, Capriati group, of course, Osorio, Serrano, Kostyuk, uh, Fernandez, a little bit lower on that group. You look in terms of top 100 victories, Goff uh, ranks the highest in terms of the broadest sample size. She's at 620. That's right around where Wozniacki's at, 652. You then get a dip by about 10% to where Fernandez, Kostyuk, Tossin, Osorio, Serrano are. Now, all of them rank above Hal 
Philip and Pliskova. Uh, but of course, they all rank behind the N and Capriati Kleister's Venus Quartet. You look at the records against the top 50. Again, for Coco Goff, she's over 500 in the largest sample size. Uh, but they all trail behind some of the aforementioned teenagers' record against the top 20. Goff's 510 and 10, 20 match sample size. Uh, that's probably the most legitimate of the group. But of course, they lag behind players like Sviantek and Drescu. They also lag behind the Venuses, Kleister, Sharapovas, Serenas and obviously Hingis's and Celis's of the world. So where does that leave us with the best of, uh, of this current bunch? Who is the best of the group? Where do they compare historically? What should our expectations be for them moving forward? Now, of course, the answer to that question is never force your expectations. Always enjoy the success, but never expect anything of any of these players because, of course, we talk about it week in, week out, the depth, the parity of so many of these players. Uh, it's exceptional. And again, Sabalenka is like 22, 23 years old. Ashley Barty's turning 26 next year. Naomi Osaka, 23, 24. And of course, you know, the Benchiches, the Sakaris, the, um, I can go on and on and on. No one's old right now on the WTA Tour. It does feel like these next three, four years are going to be so exciting because there are so many people who will have a bite of the Grand Slam Championship apple. But you look at this teenage group, again, by win percentage, the ones that stand out, particularly in terms of overall in their tour level, the early sample sizes, the three names that sort of stand above the group are Fernandez, are Ta- I mean, you want to, th- excuse me, are Tawson, Radicanu, and Coco Goff. Now, of course, with Leila Fernandez winning a WTA title this season, winning, uh, excuse me, making the U.S. Open final as well, it does feel disingenuous to leave her out of that group. So we say we'll include all four in this discussion right now. Those are probably the four teenagers to keep an eye on the four teenagers who at least statistically uh, have some sort of case to make to hang out in the N. If not the Caroline Wozniacki tier, then closer to that Justine Ennin, Kim Kleischer's, Jennifer Capriati, Venus Williams sort of range. Now, you know, again, I think Iga's in that tier. And I made the case for her earlier. And again, she's only 20 years old, so I do want to include her in this group. Iga, who's right up there, who's above Enin Capriati Venus in terms of overall win percentage, who's above Wozniacki, barely trails Enin Capriati Kleisters, but is above all the other current teenagers in terms of tour level win percentage. I think she, she, you know, again, that is teenage success. You look at the broader sample size for Sviantek as I went through, you know, 89 tour-level matches. She's won 72% of them as a teenager. 20-7 and seven at the majors. She won a slam title, three fourth rounds in her first eight main draws. All of that teenage success is, you know, it echoes the history of teenage success we've seen from some of the teenagers who have gone on to have, you know, Hall of Fame worthy uh, careers. I think for Radakanu, the sample size is extraordinarily small, but the numbers certainly point that way to where she could be elite of the elite. I think, again, and I made the case for it, for Bianca Andrescu, by sample size, what she did in 2019. In one season, it was one season's worth of results, but that one season from a qualitative standpoint was as good as the Hingis, Serena, Sharapova tier. And so that's why it's such a fascinating number and why she remains such a fascinating player to watch. 
I think Coco Goff's on the trajectory again for her to just not be lagging that far behind the 67 uh, 68% win percentage. She's below that 70% threshold that the elite seemed to clear, but she's still got two seasons to get above that number. And you look for her again for her to win 62% of her top 100 uh, matches. It's not quite in the 70% tier. But do you think she's going to lose to an opponent ranked 50 to 100, you know, that frequently over the next two seasons? I don't think so. I think that number skyrockets over the next two years. I think the top 50 number for her, that she's already over 50%. I think she can clear that 60% hurdle, which again is where you start to get into the elite of the elite. I think from a top 20 standpoint, she's already over 50%. If you can exceed 55% as a teenager, that's really where the elite of the elite begin to hang out. I think Goff's on that pathway as well so those are four I would throw Tossin in there as well because again it's a small sample size but her power tennis clearly translates and it's the fact that she's dominated at each and every level each and every step along the way I think she absolutely belongs in that conversation Fernandez is a little bit tough because Fernandez certainly caught lightning in a bottle in New York, and you watched her play, you know, third round for her French Open uh, in 2020, and she did win that title in uh, in North America earlier this season, made a final there last year as well, before the pandemic stopped play. I mean, it's interesting for Fernandez. Her numbers don't pop the way some of the others do, and you look for Leila Fernandez overall compared to some of these other of her peers you know in terms of first serve win per, uh, in terms of hold percentage fernandez ranks third amongst the teenagers amongst first serve win percentage she ranks fourth second serve win percentage she ranks second amongst break percentage she ranks sixth sixth amongst the group you look for her again overall win percentage fernandez ranks sixth overall you look for her in terms of tour level win percentage Layla Fernandez I believe ranks sixth uh, in the group as well it's so interesting because she's the one in the group who's made a tour level final and yet the numbers still just they don't pop for her the way some of the others do and yet you saw that performance in New York I don't know if I, again it, I think she's more in the Wozniaki mold perhaps and in, in, in between I still think there's going to be development for her but I think that's probably a good comp for Fernandez as well I would probably put and then, you know, for Kostyuk, uh, for Kostyuk, I could see a big I, – I do think that's why I brought up the Pliskova numbers. Even the Naomi Osaka numbers, for whatever it's worth, Marta Kostyuk is ahead of Naomi Osaka in every category from where Osaka was entering her age 20 season. Why do I bring that up? Because I think Marta Kostyuk's got maybe not that quite a f- sort of firepower, but she's a player whose power tennis will continue to develop with age as she reigns in that power and figures out, you know, when to deploy the big shot down the line. But, I mean, man, again, it's a super talented group. Osorio Serrano, a little bit behind that group. I think she's going to be very good. I, it's not in this elite of the elite teenage tiers, but I just didn't want to disinclude her because it's always impressive to be a teenager in the top 100. Who's the best of the bunch? Who ends up with the greatest number of slams? I probably still lean Goff because, again, to accomplish what she's accomplished before turning age 18 even, she's on pace to eclipse all of these numbers. And I do think by the time her teenage years are done, you know, she's already made a quarterfinal at a slam. If I told you she made – in the next eight slams, she makes two more quarterfinals, also makes a run to a semifinal as well. Just given the era that she plays in, you know, she continues the week-in, week-out success that she had this season over the next two years as well. 
I, I do think Goff ends up with those elite categories, not in the Sharapova, Serena, Celis, and Hingis range, but very much in that Venus, Capriati, Kleisters tier I keep referring to. I think, again, the three names, Goff, uh, Tossin, Radicanu. Their numbers seem to indicate they are, uh, and honestly, Sviantek and Drescu. Those are the recent teenagers or current teenagers that seem to be on the pathway to, if not, you know, one Grand Slam title, multiple Grand Slam titles, but it's a very talented group. And again, this is the sort of fun we can have at this point of the season. Take deep dives in the big picture items. What does teenage success look like? How excited should we get for this teenage success? You've probably got three players right now, or five players right now, excuse me. Andrescu, Sviantek, Tossin, Radicanu, Goff. You keep an eye on because they've hit a bunch of different benchmarks that you love to see and the benchmarks that former elite of the elite players have hit. But of course, again, it's a different era. It's a different time. There's your context. There's your big picture look at what's happening right now. History of teenage success on the WTA Tour. Of course, if you are looking for week-in, week-out content, as we do still have matches going on here in the 2021 season across levels, hop on over to our break podcast feed if you're looking for any of our crack rackets content you can find it all on the website crackrackets.com like rate subscribe review to this show that mini break podcast that our cracked interviews podcast crack rackets youtube channel so you don't miss any of our content of course if you need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at cracked rackets you want to message me directly i am at great shot pod a shout out as always to our super producers max fligner and daniel westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends over at tennis point tennis point.com the promo code is cr15 with that set for super producers for leader and west of our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say hey great shot and we'll see you all tomorrow thanks everyone Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you.